0: Welcome to The Real Estate Hackers Show, where we talk to actual investors who use systems and tech to scale out their business and where they see this all going in the future. Before we get to this week's guest, a few words from our partners and friends of the show. Hey guys, Chad here, and we've got a special announcement that I am super psyched about. We are announcing the first ever Real Estate Hackers Conference. Get excited. It's called The Next Generation of Real Estate Investing. Focused on really the future of where investing is going, combining real estate, tech, and all the innovation coming about. It's going to be held in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at the Lancaster Convention Center. We're going to have 40 speakers, including many folks that you've heard on this podcast. Folks like Matt Faircloth, Jerry Horst, Anna Kelly, Michael Manti, even Eric Cabral, who produces the show, will be there. Networking at night on Friday and Saturday at some super fun places within walking distance of the event. And we're going to have 100 vendors from across cross-investing. These are folks I wish I had met when I first started investing in real estate. Each will even have a discount coupon to save you money the first time you work with them. April 3rd, 4th, and 5th at the Lancaster Convention Center. Go to realestatehackersconference.com to learn more. That's realestatehackersconference.com. Use the code HACKERS to save 50 bucks, and man, I hope to see you there. It's going to be an awesome, awesome weekend. On to the show. All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Hackers podcast. I am pumped. We got Alina Trugub. Did I say that right?
1: You did. Oh, jeez. That was a
0: tough one. Uh, And uh, I'm excited because I met Alina on a recent tour of a property that I'm actually investing in personally, and uh, I was just really impressed by her understanding of syndications, of raising money, and uh, kind of understanding it from all sorts of different perspectives. So I thought she'd be a great uh, guest on the show. Alina, thanks so much for uh, joining us today.
1: Chad, it's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to be on your show. I'm really excited.
0: Cool. So uh, why don't we just kind of start off and talk about how you kind of have a a bit of a unique role in how you work with syndicators. Uh, I believe you kind of call it like partnering with the operator. Why don't you kind of give us an explanation of what that looks like?
1: Sure. Uh, So let me back off a little bit and talk a little about my background and where I come from and how that helps me to work on this business. So, uh, my education is in accounting and finance. And for many years I was looking for um, investments to diversify my own portfolio outside of wall street and being, being a former accountant, I've always uh, looked for ways to minimize taxes and real estate has been on my mind for many years. So um, when I finally decided to start researching in uh to dig deeper, just to find something within the real estate world, um, I came across the world of syndications as an out-of-state investment. Simply because living in a pricey state such as New Jersey, I couldn't find anything local. So syndications look like a um, natural choice for someone to invest as an equity partner, and that's how I got started um, by investing in syndications as passive investor. But later, realizing the benefits of it and seeing um, you know how much it can help a lot of other folks that just like me have probably never heard about syndications um i I saw an opportunity and I decided to bring it to market and I started my own company with that sole purpose of helping other people to diversify their portfolio um out of wall street and and really have a balance between what they get through stocks bonds, mutual funds and Wall Street and things that are Um, not driven by Wall Street and actually a lot more predictable because they are based on real calculations, you know, which is uh, near and dear to my heart as a former accountant. So that's how I started in syndications. And, you know, because I work in full time um, and doing this uh, on the side, I, uh, I thought that, you know, I need to find the niche which I can do, but do really well um, and hence, uh, I decided to start with, with a role where I would be an investor liaison, where I can f- help people uh, find the investments that are appropriate for them, um, I can help them get on board, it, and I can manage them throughout the process while we invest together in a specific offering. Um, and that's been working out really well uh, for, for a few years, but obviously, you know just like a lot of other folks I always look for ways to grow expand my investors in my own portfolio and expand the business and continue forward with it sorry if it was too long
0: no no that that's that's fantastic so uh do you do you when when you're kind of uh working with investors who might be investing in a deal do you do you always invest in the deal yourself as well Or do you sometimes, sometimes invest, sometimes you don't invest? How do you think about that?
1: Absolutely. Um, I invest as long as I have the funds and I try to invest in in every single one uh, just to show the commitment. But, you know, before I do the investment, you know, there's a whole process that I go through in terms of the due diligence by validating um, the investment prior to making, you know, that decision and investing and bringing it to, to my audience, to my
0: investors. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I... I love that approach, Uh, we, you know, if I'm gonna typically show something to someone, whether we're the syndicator or just connecting the dots between investors and syndication, usually I do the same thing, I like to try to invest whenever possible in the deal. So, this is great, so how, you know, you have an interesting kind of uh, sweet spot here where you're kind of able to see a bunch of different syndicators, a bunch of deals, uh, as well as obviously meet a bunch of investors, why don't you kind of give us a background of how do you how do you recommend someone choose a syndicator to work with?
1: Sure. Um, I, I would say it's sort of like a marriage. You need to take your time to get to know the person, to get to know their business, what they're doing, where they're doing it, and their approach overall. Um, so it, what I do, I, I go to a lot of conferences, a lot of networking events. Um, I also speak at a lot of events and um, meet a lot of people within the space, whether it's syndication or even outside the syndications. And uh, by virtue of those meetings, um, I I get to meet uh, folks that I potentially would uh, decide to do the business with. But when choosing a syndicator, first of all, um, you want to run through a list of questions with them to understand where they're coming from, um, what kind of strategy have they been implementing, how long have they been around the block, um, what kind of assets they're investing, where they're investing, um, what are they planning for, for their company future, to see if there is alignment overall between the plans that uh, this particular operator or team has and between what you have in mind. Because you know different investors have different plans, and one could be, um, uh, a cash flow investor and someone else could be, let's say a long-term appreciation kind of person, you know, the plans uh, between your strategy and the strategy that operator is implementing not aligned uh, right. I would strongly advise, you know, to go look for someone else and it, not necessarily just, you know, the, the overall strategy in terms of appreciation and cash flow. It, it could be other things. Essentially it requires a conversation and going through the questions, which, by the way, I have a list of questions if anyone is interested. I'm more than happy to share that list of questions that I've created a, a while back to, to ask a deal sponsor.
0: Well, uh, first off, uh, count me in. I'm going to see that list there, Elena. So, uh, sounds good. That sounds super valuable. And uh, and I imagine one question I uh, that I've started to think more about as I've gotten further in to this whole spectrum is probably tax depreciation and different mm-hmm. tax benefits, uh, that's a question that, I'll be honest, early on in my kind of investing, I guess it probably wasn't that important to me, or maybe I didn't understand it very well, and now I'm starting to think about it more and more, uh, Can you kind of talk about that a little bit?
1: Absolutely, and, you know, I do have to give a disclaimer uh, that I'm, I'm not a CPA, um, you know, sure. this is not the tax advice, but this is simply my opinion, Um, as someone who's been in the industry in the past. Um, What a lot of people don't realize that the main difference between REITs, real estate investment trusts, and syndication is that you can leverage the power of depreciation when investing through syndication, where REITs only, uh, they, they act essentially as mutual funds and only offer ordinary income. Essentially, you will get the income that will be taxed at your W-2 rate or at your regular tax rate that uh, your income is taxed at. Where with syndications, because uh, you are considered as if you were um, a real estate investor, you get to use the benefits of depreciation, especially if the asset is older. And in a lot of cases, um, the operators choose to also leverage uh, the cost segregation study, which allows to... Um, accelerate that depreciation and use a, a lot higher amounts up front. So um, a, a lot of uh, limited or, and general partners through the power of depreciation, uh, especially the first few years of um, life cycle of that asset, of that investment property, um, get losses. And even though these losses are passive, for passive investors, they get to um, subtract them against passive income. And what I typically suggest to people is, you know, if you plan to invest in syndications, plan to invest in multiple. If you invest in one, you're not going to be le- be able to leverage the power of that um, passive loss because you'll continue carrying it forward. But you need multiple passive investments. It doesn't have to be just syndication. It could be other investment properties, but essentially you need multiple investment properties so you can net your passive losses against the passive income. And when everything is kind of spread out throughout the time, uh, you get to leverage that power of both and net one against the other.
0: Yeah, Elaine, I, I want to kind of, um, I want to zero in on this. There's, there's two, two things I want to do. First, I want to kind of clarify it. I think you're spying the money that, um. <coughs> Sorry, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefit for investors, even if you're not a full-time investor. Even if mm-hmm. you're just you have a full-time W two job, uh, and what you're essentially doing is over time you're building up your passive investments, and as you build up your passive investments, unfortunately, you start actually building up your passive investment tax uh, liability, and so what you can essentially do is you know. You can use that next investment in a passive deal, even a syndication where you're not actually managing, you can use that passive syndication to basically offset other uh, gains that you're seeing in previous passive investments to keep that tax hit from your passive investments as low as as low as possible.
1: Correct. Correct, and you know what's good about losses is that get you don't lose them; they get accumulated. So if you have passive income in the future years and carry over losses from prior years, you can still net one against the other, and that's uh, the beauty of uh, being a passive investor. You know, you can be working full time and be able to uh, leverage the power of depreciation yeah. through the syndication. So I, I want
0: to kind of zone in on one more topic here. So. You know, a lot of people are going to invest in real estate and syndications through their IRA, which is totally a great thing to do. Uh, but one thing I, I'm starting to hear talked about, which you're going to probably tell me this is not a new topic, but it's new to me, mm-hmm. which is essentially a syndicator breaking out the classes into uh, IRA money and non-IRA money, and then yep. essentially giving the the... Uh, the IRA money doesn't actually need the tax benefits. So basically pushing all of the tax benefits into the funds that are essentially non-IRA, which would then accelerate the tax benefits even more. Uh, By the way, I'm totally off or maybe I'm confused, but is that, A, am I I correct in how I'm thinking about that? And B, is this something you see syndicators doing? Because I sure am not doing it but it it's, makes a lot of sense to me. Um, y-
1: yes and no. I, I see this trend, uh, and I've seen some operators do it, but uh, not everyone does it. So essentially what you're talking about is um, since the self-directed funds are in a tax-deferred account, uh, they don't need the depreciation that a lot of um, cash investors would be able to leverage. And that's why when we... Invest in the offerings that leverage debt, which is all the time when it comes to syndication. Um, the you know the, they uh, some operators split the the breakdown between the self-directed versus not not self-directed in order to give a greater depreciation uh, to the folks that are not in um, IRA accounts and hence would be able to leverage that those passive losses through depreciation
0: yeah it just seems super sharp you can actually accelerate those tax benefits even more um you know for the other the other group there's just no reason to push tax benefits through the ira route Uh, yeah so
1: so they're not excluded from anything it simply is not applicable to them and that's why uh that Benefit if you will is given to yeah. the investors who can leverage it.
0: And this is yeah. super technical and, and you may not know the answer I don't but uh, is that something that, that a syndicator has to do up front or are you permitted to do that? You know, if, if you set up a syndication and you hadn't already set it up that way, could you kind of make that, you know Alteration as you move
1: forward My understanding is the structure has to be set up up front, but don't quote me on that. (laughs) I I think it it has to be detailed up front.
0: Cool. Okay. Um, Well, great. So uh, talk me through a little bit as to, you know, I'm sure you see a lot of deals uh, with lots of uh, potential operators. How do you, you, it's something you have your list of questions that you go through. Is there maybe like one or two in particular that come to mind that, I don't know. Maybe they're a little bit unordinary or a little bit different that you think are, are kind of an interesting approach and lens to evaluating a syndication deal.
1: Um, what I've seen operators start doing, I would say, early last year is, um, you know, as I talked earlier, there are some investors that are looking for cash flow; others are looking for um, long-term appreciation. Um, I, I Started seeing some operators cater to both and create multiple classes within their syndications. Um, I have not seen it before 2019, but you know this was kind of interesting approach, and and I see a huge benefit is um, in my case as well because I was able to attract the audiences uh, that had both goals in mind for people that are. Um, looking for that immediate cash there was that class that mm-hmm. component and for the others that uh, didn't really care about the day to day you know uh, quarterly monthly distributions they mm-hmm. just want to see the upside at the end
0: mm-hmm. um
1: there was class for them as well and um i i like that breakdown uh because again it caters to both audiences and it allows uh the um operator to attract uh, a a lot more people to the same deal and people that have different goals in mind. So I I thought that was, that was a great approach and I see a lot more operators doing it this year as well.
0: Yeah, I I definitely see that um, trending as well. And I just kind of want to clarify a little bit as I've, as I've seen it. So essentially you would have a class of investors who maybe has a, almost a guaranteed return of, you Know X percent a year, uh, you know, it's almost just debt, really. At that point,
1: it's, it's still equity, um, and it but it's preferred return They they're paid first, and it's so it, the level is like that, that level like return. Yes, I, I, I agree with you, right? On and, yeah, and the second class, um, has a lower, more common pref return, uh-huh. uh, but they get all the upside at the end where the first class does not get to participate in that upside. They just get that higher pref uh, right. throughout the years.
0: Right. And then I've seen, I even seen a third group up here, which is hmm. the ability to, uh, I guess split the two and have, have a pref, but have a little bit of upside at the end. <laughs>
1: Interesting.
0: Uh, so, uh, one. Yeah. So uh, kind of a couple of versions there, but that's, that's super interesting to me, which is uh, that, you know, some investors uh, and I, and I, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but my, my sense is probably that, gosh, I don't mean to be age discriminatory in any way, but that probably an older investor is probably looking, I would think more for just cash uh, potentially less upside and, and maybe maybe just in general let 's call it more conservative regardless of age uh, and that and that potentially folks who are kind of early earlier on in their career of investing you know they 're not going to be kind of taking from this investment anytime soon, so they 're just trying to maximize the long term returns and, and and are more willing to kind of push out those returns later. Am I thinking about that right or? Uh,
1: I guess uh, um, it's on a case-by-case basis, but what I have seen personally uh, in my case, um, I have a few folks that are sort of like digital nomads and they're obviously millennials, um, younger people, or maybe not obvious, but in, in my case, these uh, investors are millennials. And they're the ones looking for that uh, day-to-day cash because you know they're traveling, so they need access to cash. So they're the ones that were interested in a higher upside where um, in terms of appreciation, I would say the more common case is someone who already has put kids through college and they're planning out their retri- retirement. So they don't really need cash on a day-to-day basis, but they've got um, anywhere between, let's say, 5 to 15 years for their retirement. So they want to make sure that they'll they'll get that upside um, at the end when the property is disposed of.
0: That's great. Yeah, I mean, I guess uh, to your point, it's probably not fair to uh, break people in different groups and different people have different goals and, and aligning no different than you would in any other kind of sales practice, uh, creating different opportunities and different buckets for folks to invest in a syndication uh, makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no um Chad, I think it's always fair to ask, you know, we we, we could know what would one have as their goal or, or the other. So it's always good to ask and it could apply to different age groups depending on what their plans are.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um okay. Uh as you work with investors, um obviously, you know, there's going to be some folks on this call who are who are out looking to raise money or uh, going to be raising money in the, in the future from investors. Uh, anything that you kind of think about in terms of maybe even just how you uh, are able to attract an audience and how you're able to uh, help out investors and find investors who want to find different deals. Uh,
1: yeah, that's that's a loaded question. But you know, if I if I were to summarize my response for anyone uh, looking to find investors. There are several components that they need to account for, and I, I often write about that on bigger Pockets. Essentially, it, you, you have to establish and build the relationship with people. Everything is built on trust and relationship, yeah. and it's not gonna come overnight. It's like uh, um, like that marriage. You know, it takes time to establish and build those relationship. But in addition to that, while you're building the relationship people are going to ask for the track record. So if you uh, are not someone who has that track record, then you need to partner up with experience that has the track record so that you can show someone else's experience who is your partner um, and prove to the people that, that, yeah, you you can deliver. But uh, building the relationship definitely takes a lot of time and efforts and consistency and, and grit and dedication. So I, definitely recommend putting putting a lot of time into it building their own thought leadership platform is critical and thought leadership in general involves um, uh, ensuring that people view you as authority in one field or the other the field you're you're wanted to be um, a leader in and you can do that through a single or multiple social media channels it could be Facebook, pockets, LinkedIn, Insta, um, whatever social media channel you think your um, audience is gonna be on for the most part, your, your clients, your investors, you have to start leveraging that, that social media platform and build your credibility by sharing the information, uh, sharing the articles, your own and someone else's, speaking, posting videos, responding to people's questions, And essentially showing up every day and showing your credibility so that people know that one day um, when you need to come to them and ask to invest with you, they'll know that you're someone who has the authority and presented yourself throughout all this time as a leader in the field and they can trust you and you have a verifiable track record.
0: Elena, one thing I noticed from your background, so you've helped people invest in... You know, over a 1,000 apartment doors, you've helped people invest in uh, a $10 million fund on self-storage, but also a $10 million fund focused on mobile home parks. So mm-hmm. These are three very different types of investments, right? Multifamily, right. self-storage, home parks. Uh, I guess t- two questions. The first question is, how do you kind of think about those different investment classes? Is there one you favor more than the other, or... Is it just kind of going deal by deal and trying to analyze it? How do you kind of go across each of those?
1: Sure. It all comes down to um, several factors. Number one, they need to diversify the portfolio. I started as most people with multifamily because it was near and dear to my heart. I lived in apartment complexes for many years when I was younger. So I... Understood that asset class really well, and I and I lived in those you know workforce housing apartments, so like, that was um, you know very easy for me to digest and understand. But as uh, we were investing in in multifamily, um, after several investments, I saw the need to diversify further, and I started researching other asset classes um, while trying to find something that uh, was making sense, but also would prove to be um in a way recession resilient because we're in such unstable economic times and every day for the last what three to five years people are talking about the recession and the bubble but you know and and i wanted to ensure that whatever we invest in um will allow us to move forward despite the economic conditions gotcha and that's how i came across um mobile home parks and after doing that for a while again you know while searching for another asset class to diversify um, I, I saw an opportunity with storage because storage is uh, on the partially partial real estate but the other part is is the business it's, and, and you can add um, a lot of things to it for instance um, our operator that we work with um, have added complementary services such as moving Renting machines and uh, other things to the storage business. So again, it helps to create an asset class uh, that you know may not be recession proof. I don't think there is such class that is completely recession proof, but more or less recession resilient. And uh, storage is one of those asset classes that works really well during recession. For um, unfortunate reasons, people start losing jobs and they start moving out of their larger properties into something smaller. But you know, the the um, the in the interest of keeping majority of their belongings, they try to store them in a storage, and that time sometimes um, continues beyond the time that they move from one place to another. That. Um, benefits. the Yeah,
0: investors. that's great. I, I love how you talk about these as being businesses. I think people probably don't talk about that enough. I think uh, a lot of people in real estate uh, who, who we first get into real estate are, are kind of, you know, they're, they watch the different flipping TV shows and, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're really into the carpentry, I guess, side of real estate. But I, I mean, I'm with you that, I think the deeper I get into real estate, the more I realize that you're really acquiring a business and, and, yep. or, and or building a business. And so I think thinking about it like that with a cash flow statement and, and being able to add in complimentary services for the different folks in, that, that, that use the business to help either increase revenues or decrease costs, uh, kind of lends itself to being an ideal
1: operator. Yeah, yeah, And Chad, I couldn't agree more with you. And again, going back to bigger pockets, many times i see people ask a question i i have um x much capital do you think i should buy an apartment complex um while i'm i'm working my in my you know medical field job and, you know, it's just one of many examples, but I, I've seen this kind of question come up many times in one variation or the other, where people do not realize that it's not as simple as, you know, buying a building, placing a property manager yeah. to work on it, and then leaving it unattended. You know, they, yeah. they, this is a, this is a business, and it involves full-time Uh, role. Someone overseeing the property manager, the building, uh, doing all the other things that are involved like bookkeeping, accounting, construction, and so forth. And I, you know, after answering the same question multiple times, I decided to write an article just about that topic of what it takes to to run that business and how can people go about deciding whether they want to be active or passive. That's great, Ellen If
0: you if you if you um, send me that article note, I want to add that to the notes section here, of the podcast. But I, absolutely, I 100 agree. I think uh, people th- uh, the the role of asset manager is definitely not talked about enough in these kinds of discussions, and and definitely um, the deals sometimes we've seen run awry are often because not even bad asset management, just lack of asset management, yep. zero goose egg, yep. <laughs> you know, yeah. that no one's even uh, checking that box, and even talking about who is asset managing the deal uh, can can be a big problem. Um, and I want to talk about uh, just one more thing here. So as I see, it, I mean, I, I kind of like the approach you're heading down and you can definitely maybe talk more about this, but uh, I mean, you're almost like what a stockbroker would do. And I don't want to try to kind of like compare you to a stockbroker, but you know, I think about a stockbroker is someone who kind of comes in and kind of helps you invest across a couple of different stocks. Um, but, you know, you're almost doing the same thing for an investor where you're saying, Hey, look, there's a whole bunch of different uh, you know, qualified syndicators that I know across the country or maybe even across the world eventually. And and kind of be able to help someone understand deals uh, and, and, and even weigh against different deals as opposed to somebody working directly with a syndicator who's obviously going to be selling them on one specific deal. Uh, it, am, I, am I thinking about that right or is that kind of the road you're starting to go down? Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I think of it as the private equity role where uh, there is an outlay of uh, syndicators and their offerings and we pick and choose who we want to work with and obviously there are some operators that we have done repeat business with and we will continue doing so because we really enjoyed working with them and they offer uh, better returns for investors. Uh, But in terms of uh, the other end of the spectrum where my audience come in, uh, they benefit because instead of them doing all this legwork and deciding, oh, I'm going to work with operator A, B, and C, yeah. uh, I already do that work for them. And I tell them, hey, you don't want to just stick to one operator that offers you only storage or only multifamily, no problem. You know, we have this deal now, hopefully we'll have another deal with in this other asset class down the road Yeah. and uh, we'll present it to you if it makes sense. And uh, by the way, I do continue, I do constantly look for other operators. And that's how Chad, you and I met, because I, I always look for other offerings and uh, look for other asset classes and areas, even outside of real estate, where um, my investors and I can invest to further diversify our portfolio.
0: That's awesome. And I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I've I've talked about this before on this podcast, I think, but um, one of my big idols is Ray Dalio and I'm sure you're familiar with Ray, but yeah, yeah. Um, he, you know, he has this way of thinking, which is that, you know, he says, you know, if you can open up a new diversified investment opportunity, that's truly not correlated with another one, you know, rather than trying to find another opportunity that's slightly better in returns, he would much rather open up a new, uh, non-correlated uh, opportunity because long-term having a bunch of different non-correlated opportunities is, is the best way to find long-term um, high returns. And uh, so I, I, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that thinking. It sounds like you probably are, but I love yeah. that. And it's hard. I mean, it's easier yeah. said than done to find yeah. non-correlated opportunities, but that's definitely what you're doing. And uh, I really appreciate that and think that there's a ton of value there.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, I am familiar with with that strategy, and I absolutely agree with you. It is much harder to do, and there are very few people that are doing that.
0: That's great. So, uh, Elena, I want to ask one more thing. So, we're really into tech here in the Real Estate Hackers Podcast. We're a bunch of nerds. Um, I don't know. I don't know where you fall in the nerd spectrum, but uh, talk to me a little bit about maybe like tech that you're seeing that's starting to maybe um, make it easier for investors to kind of follow their investments they have within different syndicators uh, and and just maybe any kind of overarching thoughts you have there uh, in kind of the overall tech and tech sphere.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely, Chad. So I I see a trend of um, many operators um, setting up portals and leveraging technology to manage their investors. It wasn't available back even, I don't know, at least not in the offerings where I invested six, seven years ago. Um, Now it's a lot more common and obviously small operators trying to find uh, more economical versions where the larger ones, people that have been around uh, for several cycles use the the more expensive versions. Um, But with the newer ones, uh, the portals um, certainly do the job but, um, as someone who's coming from technology background and works in technology, I would like to see um a lot more security options implemented um, in, in those portals um, again, because you know we essentially are sharing our p s i our personal sensitive information, like yeah. social securities and bank accounts and stuff, so um you know I, I want them to be as sensitive to it as uh, a lot of the banks. For instance, uh, like I use Bank of America and uh, they have the, you know, the the finger activation on the mobile phone. They have the uh, double authentication on phone and then online as well. So I want to see those portals also implementing and, you know, having all all these various security features. And I'm not saying that uh, all of them don't do it. I'm just, you know, I, I don't, I haven't seen... Um, yeah, a lot of portals, but the ones I've seen, you know, want to make sure that they are implementing as much as possible. Yeah, and uh, I guess
0: I mean, if you think about it, this asset class in using tech portals, it's still in its nascency, right? But, but yeah. you know, uh, fast forward five, ten years, and and the amount of assets and and personal info that could be held in some of these is is actually fairly significant. So, I think that's like a really good point um, to look for
1: sure. in the future. For sure.
0: Well, cool. Uh, Elena. thanks, man. This is great. Uh, really interesting stuff talking through and kind of just spinning my wheels of, of kind of where this world's all going. Uh, if folks want to get in touch with you to read more about your writings or um, just hear more about the different offerings that, that, that you know that are available, uh, what's a good way to reach out to you?
1: They can find me on my website. They can either type my name, com, or my company name, which is Samofinancial.com or social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, bigger pockets.
0: All right. Uh, pretty soon we're gonna get you on TikTok. So uh, my <laughs> so my wife is a big Instagram like she's like way cooler than I am, and her big thing right now is TikTok. I don't I don't understand it. Uh, but uh, I guess that's you know, you gotta be across all these different platforms. So that's awesome, Elena. Yeah. Um, Thank you, chub. Yeah, thanks for joining us. And oh, wait, last thing. So we're holding a conference here in April. I heard you might you might be able to come join us. The Real Estate Hackers Conference in Lancaster.
1: I would love to. Absolutely, Chad. Would love to be there.
0: Well, I'd love to have you and have you meet more amazing folks at that weekend. First weekend in April, Real Estate Hackers Conference. Going to be awesome. Can't wait to see so many of you in person and so many other guests we've had on this show. So. Uh, Alina, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again soon.
1: Thank you, Chad. It's a pleasure to be interviewed on your podcast.
0: All right, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. I have one more request. If you like this show, could you just please give us a review on Apple Podcasts? I'd really, really appreciate it, so more investors can hear about us. Follow us at Real Estate Hackers on Instagram. If you're cool like my wife. And if you have a great real estate hack, hit me up. Maybe we'll get you on this show. Real Estate Hackers is an on-air brands production. Eric and team are unbelievable. Thanks for all you do for the show. See you soon.